You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. We are glad that you're joining with us in worship today. If you're worshiping with us online, we're so grateful for you doing so. You have two different choices that are a little bit different. I want to make you aware of these. If you want to see what's happening in the room, then you're going to go to our website and use the technology live stream. If you want a sort of an outsider's first-time view of our church, then that is our Facebook service, and be aware that those are two different uh, beasts, if you will. So again, we're grateful that you're here. If you brought your Bible, would you just lift it up? Just lift it up high if you've got a copy of God's Word. All right. If you didn't bring one, there's a black book in front of you, page 1182. I want you to track with me today because you never know when the guy up front is just lying. And so you want to make sure that he is being on the text of Scripture. Today we continue a series entitled His Worship Matters. We're devoting our attention to worship, which is so vital. We're going to finish this up by understanding that worship will go on throughout eternity. But as we look at worship together, we notice that worship takes our beliefs and drives them down deep inside of us. It makes our beliefs not superficial, but once we move through the spiritual habits or the holy habits, spiritual disciplines, holy habits, it drives our beliefs down deep inside of us, makes us not superficial people, but we live out our beliefs. And God has given us a number of habits, a number of disciplines. Singing, as we looked at a week ago, giving is another habit. Evangelism, the practice of worship, reading God's Word, prayer, and as we're going to see today, sermons. These are habits that we should be in regular practice of doing. So for the next few moments, I want to talk to you about why listen to a sermon. Now, I bet you've heard a boring sermon or two in your lifetime. I'm just guessing that. I've preached a few of them. So we've all had boring sermons at one time or another. Uh, Even the Apostle Paul gave one. Evidently, it was quite lengthy. There was a guy in the book of Acts He was on the balcony of the third floor, and he fell to his death. The good news for him is that Paul could work miracles and brought him back to life. The bad news for you is I've yet to work a miracle. So stay awake, especially upstairs. Sermons can be long. They can be boring. In fact, a recent survey was put together a couple years ago looking at 50,000 sermons throughout the nation by looking at some 6,500 different websites. If you want the longest sermon on average, you need to go to an African-American church. My sermon is nothing more than an introduction for one of those brothers in Christ. If you want a short sermon, then you need to become Catholic. And maybe some of you looking at this survey are going to become Catholic within the week. Theirs is averaging about 14 minutes in length. But sermons can be boring. They can be long, but they can be quite invigorating. In fact, every so often, every so often, it doesn't happen to me much, but it happened to me when I listened to a sermon more, you could just feel the presence of God in the room. Why, why do we preach? Why do we spend from the days of Jesus to the present, why do we spend about half of the worship in listening to a sermon? Well, one, you need to be aware of that the early church were preachers. If you want to find that out, go to the book of Acts, fifth book inside your New Testament, and you're going to find that 
they were wildly successful. They're successful and they're wildly successful. They were wildly successful within three centuries. They went preaching, both personal telling of the gospel, but heralding, that's what the word preaching is, a heralding. It's a, a sense of heralding in the New Testament. And they went all over the Roman Empire and they went as far south as in India and they went into modern day Europe and people were responding to the gospel, to the message of the New Testament. So we preach because this is what the early church did, and they were successful. Secondly, we preach because Jesus was a preacher. Did you know Jesus was a preacher? In the Gospel of Matthew, the Bible says it this way, Jesus came preaching. From that time, Jesus began to preach. That's that word herald. And he would say, this was some of his first sermon. It was recorded, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, the most famous sermon, the most famous sermon in history, do you know it? The Sermon on the Mount came from Jesus' lips. Jesus was a preacher, and he was evidently a profound preacher. People at that day and time would say that the common people would hear him gladly. Now, I'm under the impression that Jesus is wiser and smarter than the news media, the politicians, the preacher, almost anybody alive today. Let's strike that word almost. He was smarter and wiser and more intelligent than any of us. So if Jesus came preaching, why don't we copy his method as well as his message? Why don't we just say, I doubt we can improve on this, but yet preaching. I look at you, you look at me, many of you week to week or every other week, and I could tell that oftentimes you would think, perhaps maybe we should put a good Christian movie at this place. Your body language, it tells me that from time to time. So why is it that we preach? Well, we preach... Because in the wisdom of God, this is God's chosen method. Think about it for just a second. Not to be blasphemous. But let's, let's put you in the role of God. And here's your decision. When do you send Jesus Christ to the earth? What era? What century? Well, God in his infinite wisdom chose to send his son around 2,000 years ago. But I believe that many in modern-day America would say, you know, I would have waited I would have put Jesus on the planet right about the time YouTube was invented so that we could record him and YouTube him. And then, in place of a guy like me, we would just turn on the video screens and we'd see Jesus. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And yet there is a being in the universe who was fully cognizant that YouTube would be created, and he nevertheless decided to send his son in the first century and we do that today we bring the message of the gospel if you're going to properly worship if you're going to have transformational worship you're going to sing as we saw a week ago but you're going to you're going to listen to sermons let me show you why you need a sermon three reasons first you need a sermon because you need the scripture you need the scripture because we're going to look at the nature of scripture over the next few moments i want you to know that there's lots of kind of sermons out there there are sermons with a little bit of scripture and there are sermons with a lot of scripture you know what happens when you get a sermon with a little bit of scripture you get a whole lot of opinions there's enough opinions to go around the world today you don't need my opinion what you need is god's word and so I want to call upon you to be a discriminating listener of sermons. A discriminating listener. What do I mean by that? The sermons you should devote your attention to are the type of sermons that are tethered to Scripture. Tethered. 
As a child, we played tetherball. Can you picture it? Do we still do that today, tetherball? Well, if I'm tethered to this pulpit, I'm not going to get far from it, am I? And if a sermon is tethered to Scripture, it's going to devote itself to the page of the Scripture. And so you need to be a discriminating listener, not loosely based on Scripture, but coming back to it. And one of the fundamental questions you need to ask yourself if you're going to take your worship seriously is when you come into a church, you need to be asking this question, does this guy believe that God wrote a book? That's a huge question. Before you kick the tires on children's ministry, student ministry, do you like the building? Did you like the music? The fundamental question, does this guy believe that God wrote a book? In fact, in front of us, Jesus spoke so highly of Scripture that he said this way, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. In verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, which was just read for us by the Nix family, I want to focus for the next few moments on these words. I want you to notice the second word in your English translation, the very word Scripture. Do you see that there? Scripture. If you were looking at the Greek, the original language that the apostles wrote this in, it's the word graphe, G-R-A-P-H-E, with one of those little umlaut type things over the E. That word is important. The reason I spelled that word, because the word appears 50 times in your New Testament, 50, five, zero. 49 of the 50, 49 of the 50, it would refer to the Old Testament. In fact, in verse 16, when the Bible says all Scripture is breathed by God, is referring to the Old Testament. Up in verses 12, 13, 14, and 15, Paul writes to Timothy, older Paul, writing to younger Timothy, that you've been discipled by your mother and your grandmother, Lois and Eunice. We learned that from chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. And you've been taught the Word. You've been taught the Scriptures. He's speaking of the Old Testament. And nothing is sensational about that. Every good Jew of the first century... Every Messianic Jew, every Christ-believing Jewish person of the time when the New Testament was put together would have believed that the Scriptures were the Old Testament. But what I want to show you next is something that's newsworthy. Hold your Bible bookmark in 2 Timothy and turn with me to the book called 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Because what I need you to be aware of, 49 of the 50 references to the word graphe have to do with the Old Testament. I want to take you to the one that doesn't refer to the Old Testament. Peter is writing here, and he's referring to Paul, Paul the apostle, the man who wrote 2 Timothy, the man in whom 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament were written by. I begin picking up reading in verse 15. Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are things in them that are hard to understand. Wouldn't you agree with that? By read Paul? There are things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other graphe, scriptures. 49 of the 50 references inside your New Testament have to do with the Old Testament. This is the one exception. Do you want to see what Peter is saying about the Apostle Paul's letters? 
he says, he puts them right on par, look at my hands, with Scripture. When he uses that word, it's not just a word for writing. It's not just a word for any old thing. It's a technical word. In the midst of the New Testament, there's a recognition by the early believers that the New Testament was right on par with what God had given the saints in years past. So Scripture's in a category by itself. And if you're going to worship, you're going to need the pages of Scripture. You're going to need the pages of Scripture for private worship. You're going to need the pages of Scripture for public worship. Now, some of you are able to study the Word of God and do it so electronically. Maybe it's on your phone or your iPad. The problem with that, as I've noticed over the years, is there's lots of distractions with that kind of worship. So when I read my Bible and I spend that time in personal prayer, it is a time of worship. And if game notifications and text about work and emails are a distraction for me, well, the good news is you can put that phone away, put that iPad away, and go get a copy where there are notifications. There are none notifications, no notifications. And you can be distracted free. The only distractions you're going to bring to this are the ones you bring with it. So you need private worship with the Scriptures. You need public worship with the Scriptures. And I'd like to go into all the details of why we believe both New Testament and Old Testament are completely free of error but know this, the Bible is a perfect treasure of def defined instruction. All 66 books, from Genesis to the maps in the back, if you will, is without any mixture of error, and Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. Now, put your, put your focus with me for just a moment, because this is probably the most relevant thing I want to say today. At the very tippy top of the Rocky Mountains is the Continental Divide the very tippy top. And a drop of rain or a snowflake here in several months will hit the continental divide, and that molecule of water will have a decision. It'll have a watershed moment. It will either go to the right, if you will, or the left, and make its way to the Gulf of Mexico, one and perhaps the Atlantic, or it will go the other direction. It'll make its way to the Pacific. But at that moment, it has a watershed decision. It's a watershed moment. You have a watershed moment when it comes to the Scripture. Because every generation is confronted with the pages that God wrote. And it's not, you're not going to agree with everything. No generation has, no culture has. Every individual in the sound of my voice has a watershed moment of decision. When it says something about gender, am I going to believe what the book says about gender, or am I going to believe what culture says about gender? When it says something about sexuality, am I going to believe what the book says about sexuality, or am I going to think America has improved on Peter and Paul? It's a watershed moment. And if you are a father or a mother or a grandmother, grandfather, this would be something that I would make sure the generations after me heard from my lips. That when it came to the watershed moment in my life as to what to believe, I didn't think that anybody could improve on Jesus. Have they heard that from your lips? This is a moment in time, and every culture will be confronted by this. 
You need the scripture. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Secondly, you need to know there are three, generally, three types of sermons. Generally, there are three types of sermons. Why do I say that? Well, let's go back into 2 Timothy for just a moment. And I want you to see something powerful that 2 Timothy, beginning in verse 1, I want you to note the seriousness. There's no frivolity. There's no laughing matter. Beginning in verse 1, I charge you. The verb is beginning in verse 2, preach the word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Preach the word. I charge you in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. Preach the word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Do you get the seriousness with which the older pastor, apostle, teaches the younger Timothy? That's what this book's about. He's teaching the younger future pastor Timothy. This is how you do it. When they rely on newsprint, and when they rely on the internet for news, and when they TikTok, and when the Model T Ford comes out, when America's in its colonies, and when America's in disarray, when there's a pandemic and there's no pandemic, you preach the word. He says, I charge you. If I were to say to you today, I charge you, you begin to note the seriousness. I charge you, not only that, in the presence of an almighty God. I've raised the ante. I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus. Just to remind you, young Pastor Timothy, don't only to preach the word, this is the one who will judge the living and the dead. Your life will be judged by him. And I charge you by his appearing in his kingdom. Five different participles. He piles together so that Timothy understands the importance of the word. You have a critical decision when you walk into a church when you walk into a bible study does this guy believe that god wrote a book See, the truth is most of us today wish that the bible were more like google when i have a question today i go to google there was a generation we used to go to this thing called the card catalog it was right next to the tyrannosaurus rex they stood (laughs) really close to one another But today we go to Google, do we not? We ask Google every question. We wish the Bible was exactly like that. We wish the Bible were like Google. We wish it would immediately tell us whatever questions we want. But let me ask you a question. Who said your questions are even the right questions to ask? An older pastor said years ago, he was speaking to a 16-year-old little girl, 16-year-old young lady, She said, I know that Jesus loves me, and I know that God sent forth Jesus to die for my sins, but no boy will even look at me at school. Wouldn't you have to admit that some of the questions you've had down throughout time have been a little wonky, a little little whacked out? See, if God were to form the Word the way you need it, who's to say that you and I are asking the right questions? There's three types of sermons you're generally going to hear when you walk into a church. You're going to hear first a topical sermon. A topical sermon is just what it sounds like. It's a sermon that's devoted to a topic. I preached one a week ago on the subject of singing. Pastor, teacher will introduce the topic and then run all over the direction to teach the topic. Most secular presentations, most school presentations will do just that. The second type of sermon is a 
textual or thematic sermon. It's the kind of sermons I grew up on. It was the kind of sermons that the generation before me generally did. It's the type where you read a passage like John 3, 16, and then the pastor will take the concept of love and he'll run in every direction talking about love. He'll take you all over the place. There's a topical sermon. There's a textual or thematic Introductory teachers generally run to one of those two, but there's a third better way, and it's what was called an expositional sermon. Do you see my hands? I'm forming the best rectangle I can. Imagine if you took a rectangle and put it over the passage. Let's say a passage like 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, over to verse 5 of chapter 4. Let's just say that theoretically. Let's just say it for grims. And then everything over the next few moments went back inside that rectangle. That's an expositional sermon. Now, why would that be better than the topical sermon? Well, let's go back for just a second. Every scripture, all scripture, is breathed out by God. That means that the scripture has been written and organized by God himself. God has approved of the way this flow of the argument this is presented now it may seem wonky to you and i but what happens when every week the pastor gets up and he organizes it by his own wisdom rather than the spirit of god's wisdom which would you prefer like we can we get my wife to testify she would say we need to go with jesus i've been living this dude for 25 years let's go with jesus that's what she would say you see when you take that rectangle and you go back to it you begin to pick up on how God is making this argument, and it's powerful. Because again, we need to be tethered to the pages of Scripture. We want it to be like Google, where we ask a question, immediately we get the answer back. But who's to say that we're asking the right questions? In fact, the very passage we're looking at teaches us this. Look back, verse 16. A moment ago, we focused on the second word, Scripture. Move your eyes, if you will. All Scripture is profitable pick up there profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness now notice how that sentence is so similar to verse 2 of chapter 4 where you're to preach the word young pastor timothy and you are to reprove you are to rebuke you are to exhort and you are to do this with complete patience and teaching let the word do the work when you get up in front of 10 people or five, sixth grade girls, you let the Word of God do its thing. And amazing things happen when a generation gives itself over to the study of God's Word. Rather than being out here, it begins to correct me, teach me. You need to be a discriminating listener. You need to benefit from personal times of worship. And you need to benefit from a profound public worship where the guy in the front is convinced that God wrote a book. And when the guy in the front comes to a place and says, well, I'm reading this, but that's not what I think, that he didn't let his thinking trump the text's thinking, the Scripture's thinking, but he says, I'm wrong here, and I'm going to let the Scripture teach me. Something powerful happens there. And we need that in America today. Republicans need that. Democrats need that. MSNBC news watchers need that. Fox news watchers need that. 
felons and law-abiding citizens need that. White people and black people and every color in between need that. We need to be convinced of the power of Scripture. Here's the third reason we need to listen to sermons for times of worship. And I want you to get this picture. It's on the screen. It's God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. Now, your version may say all Scripture is inspired. And if your version says that, you've got weak tea. You've got five parts water and one part tea. Do you want watered-down coffee? Well, that's what you're reading in verse 16. They've dumbed it down for you. Verse 16, the proper language is it is God-breathed. So look at me for just a moment and get this powerful picture. God, would God emblazon this in our mind for the next hundred years? The Bible says, Jesus himself said, God does not have a body. He is spirit. And yet, the scriptures teach us in such ways so that we can understand. So imagine this, the breath in my lungs. And I suck in that air and the diaphragm, and it comes right up out of the lungs, right up through the larynx, right up over my tongue, my lips, my teeth, the breath. Scripture is teaching us that Scripture is the product of God's very breath. He will, at the same time, use every different author. He'll use Luke's style from Peter's style, from Paul's style to Habakkuk and Moses. But God's breath, can you picture it? That's the power of Scripture. Now, why does that matter? Why would I care about that, Pastor? Here's why. Because the result is supernatural. The Bible doesn't say that all the media's words are breathed out by God. The Bible doesn't say that all the president's words are breathed out by God. It doesn't say all the pastor or the pope's words are breathed out. But if you're going to have transformative worship, all of Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's a supernatural result. Hebrews chapter 4 the Bible says, for the Word of God is living and it is active. So the Puritans, if they were here today, Mr. and Mrs. Puritan, they would say, or forefathers that started this colony, they would say that the Word of God is alive. As you read the Bible, it reads you. It's got eyes. And it's reading you. It's tracking you. That is, a teenager can read the Word of God and find that it's powerful, and the octogenarian can read the Word of God and find that it's powerful. Emily Calais was an atheist, later converted to faith in Christ. Emily Calais went on to teach philosophy at Princeton. He loved books and loved literature more than most of us. And from a young age, he decided to assemble a book a book, not a Bible, but a book. And he said, I want to call this book the book that understands me. And he would be reading, whether it be some kind of literature, and a part of the book would just stand out to him. It would just really powerfully move him. And he came to this idea that he'd take that page and collect all the pages, 30, 40, 50 pages over the years, and collect them into one book, the book that understands him. And then Emily had the bright idea one day, see, I've never, I've never sat down and read my book. And older Emily, relating the story, said, I remember it vividly. 
I sat down in a quiet place under a tree, no distraction. I began to read the book that I assembled. He said, I wanted the book to be a book that comforted me when I needed comfort, a book that would challenge me when I'm lazy, a book that would convict me when I'd done something wrong, and a book that would build me up. But he said to my abject despair, the book that I was reading didn't do any of that. Even though he had selected all the passages and he put it together and had fond memories of what had happened, he said, my needs were different. When I put the, the book together at 31, my needs were different at 41. When I put the book together when I was single and now that I'm married, my needs were different. And what he said I found was it just didn't speak to me. He said what I wanted, and he gave a very vivid analogy. He said what I wanted was a gun set in front of me and a string pulling the trigger of the gun so that when the gun went off and I read the book, it hit me. It was powerful. It would move me, build me up, comfort me, challenge me. He left that experience and threw that book away, and then he went on. Later in life, he converted to faith in Christ, and someone told him, now that you belong to Christ, you will find that the Word of God is not just something you have to study. How many of you are in the have-to-study mode? I talked to one young man this week. He said, I came to this church and didn't pay attention. You're in a have-to-study-the-book mode. Not a get-to-study, but a have-to-study. Emily said that he began to read God's Word, and he found something. He said, oh my gosh, this is it. To quote him, he said, this is the book that understands me. He called it, there's our analogy, the mobile canon. No matter where he moved, no matter what stage of life he was in, no matter how old he was and what he was feeling, he said, the book moved with me. Calais, the 1900s philosophy professor at Princeton, found out what the Puritans said generations ago. The book is alive. The book has eyes. As I read it, it reads me. It is alive. It is active. It is sharp enough to divide my soul. That is, when you put up defenses to God, it can penetrate the inertia. Friend, if you're going to have transformational worship, you got to get a copy of the God's Word to get into it. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.